Thank you, Larry. Children, uh, you're dismissed, sixth grade and below. If your children got to go to children's camp, thank my wife for the incredible time she put in. And I'm not just saying that because she's my wife, although I think she is incredible. I'm biased, but um, thank her for the time she, she put in. Uh, let me just say this morning, um, this is an awesome morning in the Lord. Um, it's just a great day. I'm so thrilled to have all of my children with me. Um, you know, it's getting more and more rare uh, to have children, my children in town. And it's my first Father's Day as a granddad. It's my son's first Father's Day. And at the same time, it's obviously bittersweet. Um, um, my dad was scheduled to do that prayer that uh, Larry just did. And so when I wrote this sermon, this week, I, I actually had my dad in mind for a lot of it. Uh, I had, we had no idea of the suddenness and the swiftness of his passing. And so let me just say thank you for your incredible outpouring of love and support for our family. Uh, I haven't been able to respond to all your texts and Facebook messages and everything that uh, you, you've shown us. I've tried to, but if I, I haven't gotten to you, please forgive me and just know that I, I feel loved. Our family feels loved, and I, I'm so grateful. And um, to say my dad had a impact spiritually on my life would be. Understating it dramatically, and many of your lives. And I've heard from around the world of people that he's touched and are grieving and so let me just say this, if you start crying, I'm on the edge. So I'm asking you to hang on or I'll just be, I'll be gone for sure. And um, we are gonna have a memorial service here at Fullness on uh, Saturday, June 30th at three o'clock for my dad. And as far as, I, there are already people from different parts of the world planning on coming. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna ask you to come and help host and support a lot of people that uh, my dad had the opportunity to minister with, and if you, I'm, I'm asking an incredible thing here, but if you'd be willing to open your homes to some people uh, from around the world who might come, just let us know at the office, um, because we're, I'm not sure how many or who, you know, it's two weeks from now, and we've got people from Albania talking about trying to get here, so um, please um, be in prayer. I'm going to try and make it through this this morning and just let your grace be extended. The letter to 1 Timothy is a letter from a spiritual father to a spiritual son. In its core and essence, you have Paul talking to his son Timothy, who's not his physical son, but a spiritual son. And there's a lot made about 1 Timothy. It's written to encourage Timothy on how to be a young man in ministry and church order. And, but it's so much more than that. There, if you read the letter, you just can't help but get the Father's heart being given to, given to Timothy, sharing with him 
what it means. Paul, if you remember, Paul came to Lystra, it's in Acts, and he, he administered there, he left, and when he came back, he found um, a young man named Timothy who had become a believer, and his mother and grandmother were Jewish, his father was a Gentile, Timothy was highly spoken of in the church in Lystra, and Paul decides to take him on with him, to train him and teach him. And Paul goes to Ephesus, starts a church, and it's Timothy that he sends back to Ephesus to pastor this church. How to be a, a young pastor. And so this week we're going to look at First and Second Timothy, and there, there, there are some dramatic differences in the two letters, but I really want to look at First Timothy this morning, and I've got six points, and I think the points are great, and uh, even if I did write them, I think they're great points on um, how, how to bring out the best in others. How, how do we encourage others to be the best that they could possibly be? And so I think this is appropriate for you and us as fathers, but this is appropriate for everyone. Uh, how do we bring out the best in others? And the key passage in 1 Timothy uh, is this. It says in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, Paul speaking to Timothy, his son in the faith, says, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. We, we are not an organization. Please, please hear me. The church is a household of faith. Uh, it, it is a living, breathing organism. I, again, I'm incredibly blessed to have my kids all here with me this morning. And, um, you know, you think of your children, your family, your household different, don't you? Don't, you know, when... when um, when someone who's a guest comes into your house, you're thinking, oh, this is a guest in my house. And you're acting different. You're probably acting better uh, than you would normally act um, because you've got a guest in the house. But when the family comes together, it's family. Um, good, bad, ugly, wonderful, laughter, horrible fighting, whatever the case may be, you're committed to one another. It's family. Paul is writing to Timothy to say, this is the household of faith. There's more here than just some organization. I'm going to give you some guidelines, he says, about how people ought to conduct themselves, and I'll give you some stuff, but really, how do we bring out the best in others? And that's what Paul is trying to do with Timothy. So here, here are my points. Um, if you want to bring out the best in others, your children, the people around you, the first thing is trust them with responsibility. Trust them with responsibility. I, I'm not sure anything brings out the best in others like saying, you can do this. You, you can do this. Paul is trusting Timothy with an incredible responsibility. The church in Ephesus, he's saying, you're the guy. Oversee it. Pastor it. Timothy's going to become the bishop of Ephesus. He's going to minister here for a, for a really long time. Church tradition says he dies in Ephesus in 97 AD that when he's 80 years old and some pagans start trying to do something in the church and he stands up to him and they kill him. He took it 
Something happened. When, when you trust somebody with responsibility, look what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 18 and 20, through 20. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. He's saying to Timothy here, look, some other people have left the faith and are causing problems, but I'm trusting you with this responsibility of pastoring this church. I'm giving it, I'm giving it to you. We live in a society, can we, forgive me for my bluntness this morning. We live in a society filled with irresponsible adults. I mean, we, we just do. And one of the reasons we have irresponsible adults is because nobody trusted them with responsibility when they were younger. Nobody gave stuff to them to do. When I was in college, I went 1,500 miles away from my home. Um, I was, we were living in Miami, and I went to college in Oklahoma, 1,500 miles away. You know, this is in the dark ages, no cell phones, um, no internet. I mean, you actually had to write a letter. Um, I, my mom and dad wouldn't let me call home because it actually costs money. So once a week, I could call home to say I'm alive. That was it. You know, it was like, hey, have fun storming the castle. You know, go to college. You're, you're on your own. Two weeks ago, I went to a college orientation with my daughter, my youngest daughter who's going to Mississippi College uh, in, the, in the fall. And they had a whole class on parents letting go of their children. A whole hour on how to let go of your kids. And I... I was saying to Tommy, you know, this is easy. <laughs> just, I was like, Tommy, well, you just wave by. I mean, they had to tell him, hey, don't, don't do this, don't do that, don't call us. They, that was really their big point was, don't call us asking about your children's grades. We can't tell you. Don't. I'm like, oh, my gosh, no wonder our society is falling apart. This helicopter parenting is just... You know, my dad, to his credit, he thought I could do anything. At least that's what he said to me. You know, I don't know that he really believed it, but he... When I was a senior in high school, we used to have this bus ministry. Anybody went to a church that had bus ministry back in the day? Some of you are like, what? A ministry to buses? No. It's a ministry where <laughs> you would... You would get a bus, and you'd go to a neighborhood near the church, and you'd recruit all the kids... And you'd pile them on a bus and you'd bring them to church. And, you know, in Miami, this was really popular. They would just give you their kids. I mean, really, it was I mean, you, you drove through with a church sign on a bus and kids are just coming out. And we never dream of doing that today, right? But, I mean, the, the horror, some of you are just like, what, what? But, you know, back then they were like, and it was a great evangelistic tool because we'd bring kids to church, teach them about Jesus. So, anyway... Our church had a bus, and uh, the bus driver uh, moved to another town. 
And uh, my dad says to the guy over the ministry, yeah, Bart will drive the bus. <laughs> I, I can barely drive a stick shift, you know, much less drive a bus. And the guy goes, okay, well, he's in. And so my dad takes me out on a Saturday. We drive around Miami, Florida in a school bus uh, teaching me. I'm 16 years old driving a school bus around the neighborhood picking up other people's kids. A busload of them and bringing them to church. Every Sunday morning for half of my junior year in high school, my whole senior year. Why? Because, honestly, my dad believed in me. I mean, he said, you can do this. We don't do that with our, I mean, if you want to bring out the best in others, trust them with responsibility. Are they going to screw up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Rick Warren, Rick Warren says this. Trust other people so that they make some of your mistakes for you. I mean, think about it. Just You're going to mess up, so give it to somebody else. Let them mess up. <laughs> I was kidding with Gabriel the other day. Gabriel and Scott, we were having a meeting, and Gabe was saying, hey, do you want, me to, you want to tell me how to do this? And I said, no, I'd rather you screw it up, and then I criticize you for it afterwards. <laughs> so that's, that's really more of my style. I don't want to tell you. It's just... Go mess it up, and then I'll tell you what you did wrong. It's a great fathering technique, too, isn't it? Howard Hendricks once said, if I had to do it all over again, I would do less for my kids and have them do more for themselves. Want to call out the best in others, then trust them with responsibility. Next point is this. Accept their uniqueness. Accept their uniqueness. Here's the passage, and then I'll comment on it. 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 14 says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, no, uh, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Here's what Paul is saying to Timothy, and then I'll comment on it. He's saying, look, don't, look, don't let people look down on you because you're young. You're unique in your youth, and you're unique in this gifting that was imparted to you. Use that gifting. Use your youth. Use what God has given you for the glory of his kingdom. We don't like uniqueness. We make fun of uniqueness. We try to all look alike. We all try to sound alike. We all try to force each other to conform. When God is saying, look, you're the body of Christ. I've given you different gifts. You're going to look different. Accept it. Accept the uniqueness of your children. I have five children. Um, I, was there. I know they're mine. I, I was there for every birth. I won't go into other detail, but I was there. They're my kids. And all five of them, though they have a certain physical similarity and you know, certain environmental things have impacted them, they are all different. They're all unique. I couldn't believe the difference between my first and second one. I, I just was, I was assuming, oh, another boy, first one, second one. I mean, every child is unique. Every person is unique. One of the ways we're going to bring out the best in others is accepting their uniqueness. I did this illustration at kids' camp. They loved it, so I thought I'd try it on you. Um, 
This, this, as you know, is a checkerboard. And when you play checkers, the pieces pretty well look the same. They move the same. They act the same. I mean, you, you get it? There's a, there's a sameness about playing checkers. But on that same board, you can play chess. And in chess, you have the, all the different pieces that act in a different way. You have the eight pawns, and they, can, they move kind of like chess pieces, one, one at a time in certain, in certain ways. You have a bishop. For those of you who don't know, the bishop is the one with the little dot on the head as you never play chess. The bishop, and he moves at angles. You have the, the rook or the castle, and he moves side to side as far as you can. Then you have the, the knight, the horse, the horsey. Um, you have the knight, and he moves kind of in an L or a J shape. People get confused all the time. Where does this go, and how does this work? You have the queen who can... It's the queen. She can do whatever she wants. <laughs> she just moves all around. <laughs> and then you have the king, who can only move like one spot at a time. But <laughs> here's the point. On the same board, you can play a different game where all the pieces act unique, all for the purpose of protecting the king. I believe the church is more like chess than checkers. We weren't called to all look alike and move alike and be alike and go in the same direction. We, we are called with a unique purpose all for the glory of the king. Accept the uniqueness of, um, of your children. Again, I, I have my mom and dad to thank for accepting me as I was. Um, I was a voracious reader when I was little. My brother, on the other hand, barely picked up a book. You can tell him I said that when he comes <laughs> in a couple of weeks. You know, we're just different. He's very athletic and outgoing. It's not that I'm not athletic, but I, I was pretty thin as a child. Um, fortunately, as an adult, it's hung on somewhat. Uh, I used to make fun of people who wore their shirt tails out saying they were trying to ha hide being fat, um, but here I am. So uh, anyway, my parents embraced my uniqueness. And in the Proverbs, it says, train a child in the way he should go. When he was old, he will not turn from it. Please look up here for one second. This is a proverb, not a promise. Do you know the difference? I've heard too many sermons on this that says, hey, if you do this, here is a promise. Your child will never do that. This, this is written in a way that says, look, in the way he should go, it means according to his bent. In other words, if you will help a child discover their uniqueness in the Lord and move them in that direction, then they will achieve what God has for them. Please don't see this as your guarantee of parenting because there are no guarantees. It got quieter. I, I, I wish I could. I wish I could say, I promise you, if you do these five things, your child will be this. And I, here's my defense on this. God made Adam and Eve. They're the only two people and they took off. I mean, they rebelled against God. And I think he's a great father. 
I mean, I, all I'm saying is there are no guarantees because sin is so permeating the world. But I will say this, there are some ways you can help guide your children to the place where they can make a choice to hear from the Lord. And one of the ways is accept their uniqueness. Accept their uniqueness. All right, let me move quicker. Um, third point of 20 that I have is expect the best. Expect the best from them. This doesn't mean you don't want them to, to be doing their best at whatever they can do. Paul says this to Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. Do you hear Paul saying this to Timothy? Do your best. Do your best with what God has, ha has given to you. Be diligent. Watch your life. Persevere. Expecting the best is not uh, demanding perfection. Right? You, see, you understand the difference? Not demanding perfection, but it's expecting that they're going to do the best that they can with what God has given them. How do you do this? Well, one of the ways you do this, parents, is by speaking blessings on your children instead of curses. Look, all psychological and behavioral studies, there have been tons of them that talk about children that are, that are looked at and expected to be good at something actually become good at it. Hello? I mean, versus if they're looked at like, oh, this class is not going to achieve. They will about achieve that. In other words, speak blessings on your children. Don't, don't, don't just be blowing smoke, but don't be saying things like that. You're such a loser. You're so dumb. You're such a wimp. Parents say this in their anger more than you can imagine. And speaking that curses, those cur verbal curses on your child or the person or your relationship are, they are life-sucking out of the child or out of your relationship. I have a friend who pastored a church in Kentucky, and he went over to, I mean, it was like the rural Kentucky, out in the mountains, kind of Kentucky. And uh, he went over, and he was sitting with this mom and dad, and they had his whole yard full of kids. And the parents were talking to the pastor. He, my friend, he says to them, just look at these kids. They can, they can be anything. They can be doctors or nurses or the president of the United States and the dad looks at the pastor and he said pastor have you seen them I mean that's the way we act too often really they can't no way have you seen them expect better expect the best out of people Okay, moving on. One of the ways we can do that is correct without condemning. Correct without condemning. Verse 22 and 23 of chapter 5 says, Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Here's the correction Paul, believe it or not, has given Timothy. He says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine. I'm sure he meant grape juice, by the way, but... Uh, <laughs> For all you Baptist friends out there, because of your stomach and your frequent illness. He's correcting him. He's not condemning, but he's saying, hey, Timothy, I mean, who would write to another, you know, you, if he'd known this was going to be in the Bible, you think he would have written this? 
I know your tummy's upset, but uh, drink a little wine uh, to help. He's trying to help him, but not condemn him. The Lord disciplines those he loves. I can say this about my dad and mom. They disciplined. They disciplined. I, I thought it was a good day when I didn't get a spanking. I mean, really, when I was young, I made it through the day. I didn't get a spanking. And uh, they were equal opportunity disciplinarians. You know, it was not like mom ever said, wait till dad got home. Uh, there was no waiting uh, at my house. And so, but the discipline that, it was never abusive. It was never condemning. It was always loving. You know, I think. There's a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson. He's become very popular in uh, this culture. Jordan Peterson, uh, Canadian psychologist, taught at Harvard. He's creating quite a stir. He's pretty conservative, but he, he uses biblical examples. I don't think he's a Christian, honestly, uh, but he is very knowledgeable in the Bible. And his book, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos, has become incredibly um, popular in this day and age. I, I've read it. I, I, I loved it. I, I got some great truth from it. He's got one. Here's rule number five. You ready for this? And these are the kind of the ways the rules are stated. Rule number five is this. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Think about it. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. What is he saying? He's saying if you dislike your kids, the fault is yours, not theirs. Because you're not disciplining them. Here's what he goes on. It says, children are damaged when those charged with their care, afraid of any conflict or upset, no longer dare to correct them and leave them without guidance. It is an act of responsibility to discipline a child. Wow, that is not, and you can imagine how this is going over in some sectors. But he's becoming more and more, it's, it's almost like, huh, that makes sense kind of thing. A couple of thoughts on discipline. These, some of these are my own, some I've borrowed, but I wanted to give these to you real quick. Uh, if you're a parent, we have a lot of young parents here. Um, I, listen, Kathy and I have been anything but perfect parents. Uh, we have erred in so many different ways. But let me just give you a couple of thoughts on discipline real quick. You can write them down. If you want to talk about them later, we can. First is this, never correct in anger. If you're mad, take a step back. Wait. Never correct, never correct in anger. Correct with the proper amount of discipline and with a goal in mind. I hate to say let the punishment fit the crime because discipline is different than punishment. Punishment is punitive. Discipline has a purpose. But always think about disciplining with, you know, if your child does something um, that's slightly rebellious, it's the first time, don't restrict them for the rest of their lives. I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, you've got to have a purpose, and it's got to, to, to fit things. Uh, disciplining for bad behavior, not mistakes or accidents. Discipline for bad behavior, rebellion, not for a mistake or accident. You know, it's one thing, I'm, I know I'm running out of time, but just hang with me for a second. Let's say your child is at a table and they spill water, a glass of water. 
if it's, if it's an accident, you don't spank a child. You don't discipline a child for an accident. Now, if you had said to the child something about moving the water or, hey, don't play with that glass of water, or that, that's a different thing. I, I had a friend when I was in seminary, and he had this brand-new Cadillac. It wasn't my friend. He was an older gentleman. Uh, I didn't hang out with people who actually drove Cadillacs back then much, but um, none of my friends had one anyway. But he was at church, and I came out, and there was this ring on his, the hood of his Cadillac. And um, I said to him, Jim, what happened to, your, what happened to your car? He goes, oh, one of the boys set a Coke can on top of the, on top of the car. And he was known as a strict disciplinarian. And, and I said to him, whoa, I bet he got a spanking. And he looked at me like I was some sort of idiot and said to me, Bart, you don't discipline for an accident. And, and you know what? That has always just stuck with me that this guy could have a, you know, a Coke ring on his new Cadillac. It's just stuff. Children are lives that matter. You know, the thing is going to burn. Discipline for bad behavior, not mistakes or accidents. Watch your words. There's power of life and death in the tongue. And this is the one that got me. Discipline takes discipline. Hello? I mean, I've been sitting in my recliner so many times and say, if you do that again, I'm going to, you know. And they do it again. I'm like, dadgummit, I do not want to get up. You know what I mean? You're like... I, 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 this is gonna. This is such a pain for me to get up and have to take care of this. Why? Because discipline takes discipline on your part. It is not easy. You know, I know kids think, oh, they're, they're just looking for me to screw up so they can spank me. I know they are. No, I'd rather you behave because it's easier for me. I don't have to do stuff. You may think that some of you are like, I don't get it yet. You will. You'll get it. And the first time you say, you, you do that and I'm gonna have to, we're going to have to have a talk, and, and you don't do it, the cow is out of the barn, baby. <laughs> I mean, it is like a, a niche in a young mind. The dude didn't get up. <laughs> I can do what I want. I can, I can own this place. Some of our children are out of control, but not because they're out of control, but you don't have control, if I could be so ugly. It takes discipline to discipline. Condemn, uh, excuse me, don't condemn. Correct without condemning. It's been a long week. Affirm their value. Affirm their value. 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 12 says, But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you, were, when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Again, look at the value Paul affirms in Timothy. Man of God. You, man of God. One of the things I think my children would tell you is that almost every time they left the house, I would say to them, remember, 
You're a godly man. Now, were they really? I mean, some of you are not laughing. The answer is no. They were not acting as godly men or women. But I wanted those words ringing in their ears. That when they faced some decision that they were going to face when they left our house, they would know the value of who they are in Jesus. I still pray that for them daily, that they would know who they are in Jesus Christ, that their value is not just that they're my children, though I do believe that that's a value, that they carry our name, and, but really who they are in Christ. You are a godly man. You are a godly woman. Remember that. And I got it from this passage, honestly, where Paul says to Timothy, you are a man of God. One, yeah, how can we do this? Three quick points, just real fast. First, give them attention. Quality time, quantity time. I, I find that a, a mess of a discussion. I mean, really, as if you can design quality time with children or with anyone. Really. You never know when the quality time is going to happen. Hello? You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you can't just say, hey, right now, let's have some quality time. And they're like, what? I mean, really, they, it, the way to do it is to spend quantity time with someone, and you'll be amazed that quality time happens. The, the studies, uh, fortunately, the studies are better today than they were 50 years ago, but the amount of time that a father gives of undivided attention to a child is mere minutes a day. Minutes a day. Being in the same room watching television is probably not the same thing. I'm talking about some sort of face-to-face -face interaction. Uh, we've tried to design times with our family, with our kids, where we get away with just them one-on-one. -on -one. Because you never know, somewhere in a week, maybe a five or ten minute conversation will come up that will change their lives, affirm their value. We pray so. Show them affection. <clears throat> I, I am so fortunate. My dad, um, he came from a family that he, he never heard his dad tell him he loved him. Not that he didn't love him, but he never heard it. It was that old southern farming work ethic. My dad told me he loved me every time he saw me. The last words my dad said to me were, I love you. When I talked to him on Thursday morning, I talked to him on the phone Thursday morning, and, you know, our last words to each other. I love you, Dad. I love you, Father. You just, you, you have to express affection to one another. People can't assume that you have it. Children don't. Generally, by the way, fathers, children get more affection from their moms than their dads. I say we turn the trend and show affection to our kids in a way that's healthy, masculine, but at the same time, they know we love them. And then appreciation. When, when we thank people, that raises their feeling of being valued or appreciated. Isn't it funny that when you talk about, like somebody, I was having a conversation with uh, Craig Hawkins the other day, we were talking about homes. Um, for different reasons, and I was talking about how much my home had increased in value. Isn't it funny that the term for that is appreciation? 
my home has appreciated and value. I, I know it's probably not the same, but to me it is. When you show appreciation to someone, you are increasing their value, I think, by expressing thanks and letting, letting them know who they are in affirming people. Final point. Oh, wait. Oh, this is a good video. Uh, I'm sorry. I even forgot I had this video. You're going to love this. I, we don't really have time for it, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. <laughs> this is a high school baseball game this week. You, you may have seen this. It was real, it's been really popular this, if you are on social media. But I see, I think it's my job to help those of you who aren't on social media because <laughs> there are a lot of you out there who aren't. This is a high school playoff game, uh, the very end of a baseball game. And I'll set it up for you. The pitcher and the catcher were best friends when they were littler. Okay? And then you can read, read about it. I don't know if you, did you get it? I mean, in, in this day and age where fathers are saying to their sons, it's only about what you do, the son had enough to say to this friend, it's not, a, it's not this game. You're more important to me than a game. We need to express and affirm our value in our friends and family. Final point is this, don't give up on them. Never give up on them. Now, I'm going to talk about this next week. Um, so this is a lead-in to 2 Timothy, uh, to say never get up on the, give up on them. But here's the passage from 2 Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. You're going to see next week in 2 Timothy, and I would encourage you to read it. 2 Timothy is totally different than 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, the church is doing bad. The guy, Hymenius and Alexander, who he's talking about, and some others who they've, they're, the church is declining because of false teaching. And who's pastoring the church? Hello, people. This isn't a trick question. Who's pastoring the church? Timothy's pastoring the church. Timothy is pastoring a declining church. And Paul is saying, hang in there. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not giving up on the gospel Hang, keep preaching God's word. This thing will turn. How often are we so results-oriented that we give up on people? We give up on our children. We give up on relationships. We give up on things too quickly. And one of the ways we can help bring out the best in others is never give up on them. Never give up on them. I, I pray this Father's Day... 
that dads, we will, we will encourage. You see, can I, can I just be honest with you just for a second? I try to be honest all the time, but by nature, by nature, I really don't care that much about other people. By nature, I'm self-centered. By nature, I'm not interested in bringing out the best in others. I'm interested in me. And so are you. Not that you're interested in me. You're interested in yourself. We're all that way by nature. But by the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be different. We can be different. We can be fathers and mothers and friends and co-workers who help bring out the best in others, all for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. I pray that is the kind of place that we are, the kind of families and parents that will be in, be in the days ahead. Thank you for, your, again, your grace toward me today, grace toward my family. Um, I, I can't even get my head around the fact that, you know, last week, Dad was right there. You know, you just you never know what the days ahead hold. But I am confident of this. Those songs we sang about this morning, about death, seeing Christ face to face, I believe those. I believe that today my dad, a man of God, is seeing Christ face to face. I believe he's got his last wishes, which were to be reunited with my mom, have been granted. I believe those things. Not because I'm just blowing smoke, but because I believe the gospel of grace says this can happen. I was talking to my friend Mark Rhodes, and I know the hour's late. Please give me just one last little thing. I was talking to my friend Mark Rhodes. Mark uh, was telling me a story about my dad. He said when he was young, like seventh grade, he had a friend that died, same age as him. And he went to my dad, who was his pastor. See, my dad pastoring South Florida, for those of you who don't know, and Mark, who lives a couple of blocks from here now, was our youth pastor for a while, was baptized by my dad. Anyway, Mark goes to my dad and says, Pastor, my friend just died. Is he in heaven? And my dad, being my dad, said to him, Mark, I, I don't know. I don't know if he is or not, but it, it's too late for him. But it's not too late for you. You can make a decision to follow Christ today. It is not too late for you. And Mark said in his office right there, he gave his life to Christ with my dad. You never know when those opportunities are going to come to share. You know, when we talk about value this morning, there is nothing, nothing more than affirming the value of who your children are in Christ or leading them into a relationship with the Lord. Your friends, your family, whoever that might be, I want to encourage you this week to speak life-giving words of the gospel every place you go. Because you don't know whose life you'll change forever. 
Amen. Stand up. Lord, we thank you this morning. Thank you for fathers. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for Timothy and Paul and their spiritual fatherhood, their relationship together. And Lord, I am I'm so proud to be the son of Jimmy Brookings. And thank you for the life and legacy that he left, not just in me, but Lord, I, I recognize there would be no church here if it wasn't for what he poured into us in the early days. And so, Lord, we together, we say thank you for his life, that we all stand in that godly heritage. And we thank you for it, for his faith and life and legacy. And, Lord, I pray that we too, we, men, women, children, we will too leave a legacy like that in the days ahead. We may not be called to the same thing, but we can be, by the grace of God, empowered by the Spirit, with the purpose of seeing the kingdom of God expand, and I pray we'll take them and make the most of every opportunity. We say thank you, Lord, for godly mothers and fathers. Thank you. And God, we thank you. You are a good, good father. We say thank you this morning. Thank you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day in the Lord.